0: Chapter 10 of The Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lyndon Godsell. The Conquest by Oscar Mayhew. The Oklahoma Grafter. That evening at the hotel, he asked me whether I wished to double my money by selling my relinquishment. No, I answered. "'But I tell you what I want to do,' I replied firmly. "'I'm not here to sell. "'I'm here to make good or die trying. "'I'm here to grow up with this country "'and prosper with the growth, if possible. "'I have a little coin back in Old Chai. "'My money was still in the Chicago bank. "'And when these people begin to commute and want to sell, "'I'm ready to buy another place.' "'I admired the fellow.' He reminded me of the richest man in the world in The Lion and the Mouse, Otis Skinner as Colonel Philippi Bredu, an officer on the staff of Napoleon's army in The Honour of the Family, and other characters in plays that I greatly admired where great courage, strength of character, and firm decision were displayed. He seemed to have a commanding way that one found himself feeling honoured and willing to obey. But getting back to the homestead, I looked over my claim and found it just as I'd left it the fall before, excepting that a prairie fire during the winter had burned the grass. The next morning I returned to Orristown and announced my intentions of buying a team. The same day I drew a draft for $500 with which to start. Now if there is anywhere an inexperienced man is sure to go wrong in starting up on a homestead, it is in buying horses. Most prospective homesteaders make the same mistake I did in buying horses, unless they are experienced. The inefficient man reasons thus, well I will start off economically by buying a cheap team, and he usually gets what he thought he wanted, a cheap team. If I had gone into the country and bought a team of young mares for, say, $300, which would have been a very high price at that time, I would have them yet, and the increase would have kept me fairly well supplied with young horses, instead of scouting around town looking for something cheaper in the skate line as I did. I looked at so many teams around Orristown that all of them began to look alike. I am sure I must have looked at five hundred different horses, more in an effort to appear as a conservative buyer than to buy the best team. Finally I ran onto an Oklahoma grafter by the name of Noonmaker. He was a deceiving and unscrupulous rascal, but nevertheless possessed a pleasing personality which stood him in good in his schemes of deception and we became quite chummy. He professed to know all about horses. No doubt he did, but he didn't put his knowledge at my disposal in the way I thought he should, being a friend, as he claimed. He finally persuaded me to buy a team of big plugs, one of which was so awkward he looked as though he would fall down if he tried to trot. The other was a powerful four-year-old gelding, that would have never been for sale around Orristown if it hadn't been that he had two feet badly wire cut. One was so very large that it must have been quite burdensome for the horse to pick it up, swing it forward and put it down, as I look back and see him now in my mind. When I was paying the man for them I wondered why Newmaker led him into the private office of the bank. But I was not left long in doubt. When I crossed the street, one of the men who had tried to sell me a team jumped me with, "'Well, they got you, did they?' his voice mingled with sarcasm and a sneer. "'Got who?' I returned question. "'Does a man have to knock you down to take a hint?' He went on in a tone of disappointment and anger. "'Don't you know that man Noonmaker is the biggest grafter in Orristown?' I would have sold you that team of mine for twenty five dollars less than I offered him if the gold darn grafter hadn't of come to me and said give me twenty five dollars and I will see that the coon buys the team. I would have knocked him down with a club if I'd had one, the lowlife bum. He finished with a snort and off he went. Stung by cracky was all I could say, and feeling rather blue I went to the barn where the team was, stroked them and hoped for the best. I then brought lumber to build the small house and barn, an old wagon for the twenty dollars, one wheel of which the blacksmith had forgotten to grease, worked hard all day getting loaded, and wearied, sick and discouraged, I started at five o'clock p.m. To drive the 30 miles to Calias, when I was out two miles, the big old horse was wobbling along like a broken-legged cow, hobbling, stumbling, and making such a burdensome job of walking, that I felt like doing something desperate. When I looked back, the wheel that had not been greased was smoking like a hot box on the 20th Century Limited. The sun was nearly down, and a cold east wind was whooping it up at about sixty miles an hour, chilling me to the marrow. The fact that I was a stranger in a strange land, inhabited wholly by people not my own race, did not tend to cheer my gloomy spirits. I decided it might be all right in July, but never in April. I pulled my wagon to the side of the road, got down and unhitched and jumped on the young horse. And such a commotion as he did make, I am quite sure he would have bucked me off, had it not for his big foot being so heavy. He couldn't raise it quick enough to leap. Evidently he had never been ridden. When I got back to Orristown and put the team in the barn and warmed up, I resolved to do one thing and do it that night. I would sell the old horse and I did for twenty-two fifty. I considered myself lucky too. I had paid $190 for the team and harness the day before. I sat down and wrote Jessie a long letter telling her of my troubles and that I was awfully, awfully lonesome. There was only one other colored person in town, a barber, who was married to a white woman, and I didn't like him. The next day I hired a horse, started early, and arrived at Callias in good time. At Hedrick I hired a sod mason, who was also a carpenter at three dollars a day and we soon put up a frame barn large enough for three horses, a sod house sixteen by fourteen with a hip roof made of two by fours for rafters and plain boards with tar paper and sod with the grass turned downward and laid side by side, the cracks being filled with sand. The house had two small windows and one door that was a little short on account of my getting tired carrying sod. I ordered the contractor to put the roof on as soon as I felt it was high enough to be comfortable inside. The fifth day I moved in. There was no floor, but the thick, short buffalo grass made a neat carpet. In one corner I put the bed, while in another I set the table. The one next to the door I placed the stove. A little two-hole burner gasoline, and in the other corner I made a bin for the horse's grain. End of chapter ten